Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Gary Bolton, President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. We discuss the state of fiber in the U.S. currently, what federal policies and policy changes the Fiber Broadband Association is advocating for, why Gary is not particularly enthusiastic about low Earth orbit satellite broadband, and what it will take to get fiber to every home across the country. Gary, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nicole. It's great to be here. So to kick us off, why don't you just tell me a bit about the Fiber Broadband Association and the companies it represents? Yeah, so the Fiber Broadband Association now has been around in its 20th year. So we are an organization that's the largest organization in the Americas focused on uh, delivering an all-fiber broadband network across the Americas. You know, we have about a little over 350 companies across the Americas. There's about 250 in North America and about 100 in Latin America. And what's really unique about the Fiber Broadband Association is we represent the entire ecosystem of fiber. So about half our members are service providers actually delivering the broadband services. And the other half are on the supply side. So everything from consulting engineers to construction companies are actually building out the fiber to the manufacturers like Accorning or OFS that produce the fiber to um, active electronics like Nokia, Atran, Kellex, all areas of that, and as well as the labor side. And then even one of the other areas, you know, we're seeing kind of the largest emerging growth area is in new providers. And we're seeing communities across the country that are stepping up saying we need economic development, we need jobs, and so therefore we need fiber. And so we have a public officials uh, roundtable that should be about 100 communities now, anywhere from New York City down to little tiny rural communities across the country. So we have quite a few, I think 25 states represented so far in that roundtable. Anyway, it's a lot of fun, a great year, great timing to be in the fiber business. So let's talk a little bit about the state of fiber in the U.S. Um, can you give me the, the good news, bad news scenario? Well, I mean, I think it's good news, good news. So okay. the, the good news is that, you know, fiber, we have about 40 million homes that are being marketed fiber. And at the end of last year, there was 22 and a half million homes that actually been connected with fiber. A lot more that needs to be done. Um, what we're seeing is that, you know, last year, we really saw it was a year of smaller providers. About 88% of the CapEx in fiber was from small providers. So there's 1,100 companies that were delivering fiber services last year. Now what we're seeing is that we believe that this year, 2021, will be the largest investment year in fiber in history. Because not only are we seeing significant amounts of announcements from you know the tier ones and tier twos, so you, know, you see all the tier ones that are going to be deploying fiber. Then you saw the tier two operators have emerged from bankruptcy, cleared all the debt off their decks, and now are going to be, you know, really investing in fiber. And then what we've seen is, uh, you know, we just had the RDOF auction. So that's over, you know, $9.3 billion that's uh, going to be to help get fiber out to rural America. And uh, so we're pretty excited about that. A lot of other good things coming along. So we're, we're pretty excited. 
Okay, I, I like your good news, good news perspective on things. Um, we could use a little more of that anyway, so I'll take it. Um, but uh, I want to get to the art off uh, auction and, and the results in a second. But I'm just curious, you know, you do mention it's good news, good news, and I think that's great. But do you think that the U.S. should follow a similar path to the U.K. and others that have set a target date for full fiber infrastructure nationwide? Um, do you think that that would get us there faster? Good news, good news, good news, right? So the last week, Congressman Clyburn and Senator Klobuchar uh, dropped a bill that had $80 billion for gigabit services. Yeah, there's no, a number of ways to get there. Yeah, it would be great if, um, and we saw Australia, other you know countries have taken a top-down approach. So the administration has put in a, you know, a national objective. And I do think those are very effective. It seems like the U.S. is going more piecemeal. And so we've seen a little bit of art off here. We got the reconnect. You know, we're putting some uh, infrastructure legislation in place. And so there are a number of things that are coming together. It's all heading the same way. But at the end of the day, it is critical that we do have fiber to every home across America. We see a lot, you know, from the, like back in the 1930s, the rural electrification. There's a lot of references to that where, you know, you would never think about relegating a home to having bad power, right? Give you a generator, you know, you'll be fine. You know, that's the way we look at fiber is like, well, it might be a little expensive to get where you are. So maybe we'll give you a satellite or something crazy, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I saw that bill that you're you're referencing. I, I thought it looked great. Um, I also thought that we'll need to reform or repeal the filibuster in order to get it passed. But that can be somebody else's problem, not yours so much. <laughs> um, so let's let's get into the RDOF a little bit more. Um, how do you think that the auction went overall? How do you see this impacting the digital divide? And any thoughts on, on how that type of funding gets dispersed from the federal government? Is there any way that you'd like to see these auctions change uh, in the future? Absolutely, Nicole. So, you know, the RDOF, the 904 auction, you know, got underway at the end of October and concluded the end of November. And on December 7th, they announced 180 winning bidders. And the great news about that is 85% of the winning bidders were in the gigabit tier. So that's a, a great win for fiber. About 99.7% were at least 100 meg. So that's great. The downside is of the 85% locations not in the gigabit tier, 85% of those went to Starlink for low Earth orbit satellites. You know, when you, you think about trying to solve the digital divide and have you know digital equity across the country, you really have to be building. You have to be building an infrastructure. And when you literally strand investment in space, there's no way to build on that. And you think about what's why why fiber? Why is fiber so important? And it's not just about broadband connectivity. It's about jobs. We did a recent study with Chattanooga. They, they're you know, one of the first gigabit cities. And you looked at you know, five years was when they started their project. And that resulted in 9,500 new jobs and $2.7 billion in economic impact for a little town of Chattanooga. But in addition to that, you know, they were able to leverage this on their smart grid. They saw 43% reduction in outage minutes. They saw you know, almost a half billion dollar in benefits through uh, major weather events, significant reduction in demand and electric co consumption. And then, you know, you've, now you've had you know, your fiber for your broadband connectivity, smart grid. Well, now you're set up for 5G. These are all the things you can keep building on to really improve the quality of life. And when you strand investment in space, it's not like you can send a, a repairman up to a satellite and fix it. You know, those satellites follow the sky about every five years. But other than darkening our sky and satellites, it really isn't 
you're not building on that. You know, same thing as the rural electrification. It, it really is important. The other thing I was excited about is that charter did get a lot of money. You know, you look at when this is going to be the tipping point for when cable companies go from hybrid fiber coax networks, so the DOCSIS, to uh, fiber. And when you look at the locations they have and kind of the density, it doesn't really work very well for DOCSIS. And so that's a million locations. So that looks like fiber. And then we saw also a, n- a number of six WISP wireless internet service providers that were awarded fiber and fixed wireless access. It is a little bit concerning. You know, we've had lots of people, you know, arguing, you know, can you deliver a gigabit service with fixed wireless. At the end of the day, you have to put a lot of fiber in to get these antennas very close. You know, if you're looking at millimeter wave, you know, you're talking um, very, very close to your subscriber. And so you're getting fiber very, very close so that, you know, as they build out and start to have revenue, you'll be able to connect those users. Because the one thing that every, you know, we have a lot of WIS members is the way that they get them off their call center and, you know, the help desk and, you know, get their phones to quiet down is to get fiber connected. And so when you look at the maintenance costs and the overall customer satisfaction. So it's really about if you can't get fiber all the way there, get it as far as you can. And then the one question that you asked, Nicole, was, you know, what should be done differently, you know, in the auction? And and this is true for whether it's the FCC auction or any federal subsidy, state subsidy, is it should be fiber first. We need to be able to make sure that all, you know, whether it's urban or rural, you know, we see the digital divide in urban as well. Communities, you know, in subsidized living and so forth, where, you know, carriers aren't looking to say, hey, we're going to pull fiber to these subsidized housing locations. And so all those kids now that have been having to do school from home, they're pretty much, you know, a pickle, right? Because how are they going to be able to do their homework when they, you know, they have to go to McDonald's or somehow be able to find broadband. And so, you know, it's urban, suburban, and rural that needs to have, you know, robust fiber infrastructure. And so what we need to do next, you know, first is make sure that it's fiber first. So you, when you fund projects, like even Congressman Clyburn had last fall, had tried to accelerate art off saying, okay, let's take all fiber projects off the table, go ahead and fund those. And then we'll do an auction and anything that's not fiber. And, and I think that's the way that they should look at the way that uh, the auction and try to accelerate the auction you know, you did a short form, so very quick and dirty way to see who should be able to bid. And then you would do the due diligence after the fact. And so that's where we are now is, you know, now the awards have been made. The FCC has a big job of going through and vetting all those applications. And so that could take a long time. And so what we anticipate is that over the, you know, we looked at CAF, you know, it took about six to eight months to process, you know, these kind of things. But we believe that they'll Put things off in tranches. Usually, the FCC says, "Here's a batch of applications to get approved." They'll do a big announcement, and so I'm assuming they'll take all the fiber ones. Um, those are no-brainers. Go ahead and get those off the table, and say, "Okay, here's your money. Get those things going." And then the ones that are a little more sketchy, they'll be spending a lot more time. And that's what we worked with um, a partner, Cartesian, um, that's a analyst firm in London, to build a model on LEO satellites and to really help the FCC vet those applications. And so hopefully that will make it a little bit easier because, you know, when you have a, a dynamic network, it's very difficult to figure out how we're going to you know, measure performance when this thing can be reconfigured on the fly to be able to, you know, game the system and so forth. 
are you concerned with a uh, hype around and focus on Starlink and, and the like? I would say that that would be disastrous for those Americans. You know, if you look at who got relegated to Starlink, it was what I call Eastern Appalachia, kind of Alabama up to Maine, you know, up in the mountains and then up in the North uh, Pacific Northwest mountains from Montana on up. And, you know, I was just doing some modeling. The analysis we did is showed that that best case, 56% of those locations will have congestion. And then when you start looking at, well, if what if they use, you know, those satellites for other, you know, then art off, which they will, and they said they will, then even as little as 20% of that capacity and allocated to commercial or other broadband subscribers, that will mean that almost 80% of those art off subscribers will have congestion. And then, you know, you start to look at, well, are they going to really get 12,000 satellites? And we had assumed V-band, they're probably going to do KUKA band. And so that knocks it down to about 4,480 satellites. So they've already indicated that the satellites can only do about two thirds of the capacity because you need residential terminals, not enterprise terminals. A um, number of other things that really can bring that way down. But most importantly, you know, if you look at 10 years ago, we had the national broadband plan. And that, you know, so the FCC had this big effort and came out and said, the definition of broadband is one megabit. You, can you imagine the pandemic where everybody had one megabit? You know, we're sitting here today and, you know, what's going to be in, uh, in 10 years? And so our technology committee has looked at that and says, yeah, it's going to be about two gigs symmetric is what every uh, household of four is going to need. And so you can't sit there and say, okay, this point in time, maybe 100 meg is good because, you know, who knows what applications are going to come around the corner. We saw with the pandemic that everybody became, you know, instant Zoom users. And so these applications, you know, never bet against technology and kind of the innovation that, you know, these applications are going to have. Yeah, that's a real that's a really good point. So I want to talk briefly with you about community broadband and partnerships with municipalities and electric cooperatives. Um, how critical a role do you see those playing in in closing the digital divide and, and even in the communities that you serve? And what are the impediments to getting those types of broadband efforts off the ground? You know, as I mentioned, you know, that's probably the biggest emerging class of fiber deployers. And so if you look at, you know, kind of the, the tier ones have, you know, kind of their NFL city strategy, right? So they go and they're going to look and see where the biggest return on investment. That's great. But for all those other communities that don't fit on that priority list, Huntsville, I live in Huntsville, Alabama, and, you know, even though we're uh, Rocket City and have probably the highest concentration of rocket scientists and genome sequencers and PhDs per capita, you know, it's the number one STEM city in the country. You know, we weren't a gigabit city. And people are like, well, we can move an hour up the road to Chattanooga. They have gigabit. And so the mayor came to me and said, hey, people are moving to Chattanooga. You know, this is something's wrong with this, right? So we put out an RFP as a city. You know, what happened was the city was encumbered with franchise agreements with the incumbent operators. And so it reached out to Huntsville Utilities and said, hey, you guys can go ahead and put fiber in. And uh, Huntsville Utilities like, well, we don't want to get in the fiber business. So long story short, Google Fiber came in. They are leasing dark fiber from Huntsville Utilities and, you know, all is good. So the economic development in Huntsville has gone from $150 million a year to $2 billion a year since that got put in. It's a huge impact when you have fiber. And so that's kind of the story for all communities across you know, the country is if you're not getting jobs and you're not seeing the economic development, you have to get fiber there. And how are you going to do that? Right. And so if you're incumbent, you're not on their list to get fiber anytime soon, then they're, you know, they say, okay, well, 
who else can do that? And so we have, there's about 900 rural electric co-ops. A large number of those participate in RDOF. And we've seen a large number of those that are stepping up. None of these are saying, hey, that this is the business I want to be in, but they are serving the communities. And that's, you know, I, I love these guys because if you go to lunch with them, you know, with the, the general manager of the rural electric co-op, you walk in the restaurant and everybody knows their name and everybody has a comment to say to them. And so you can imagine that if you're going to any your your son's baseball game or any place on the planet in your little community, your neighbors are going to have some comment about their electric service or their need for broadband. And so they are highly motivated to make sure their communities are served. And that's what we're seeing is that, you know, whether it's, you know, if you have a utility that can do that for you, or if you just need to set up a municipal network. Again, in areas where the incumbent operators, I mean, the great thing about incumbents, many have been, been in, year, in service in operations for 100 years or you know, decades. And so having professional operators is you know, everybody's number one choice. But if that's not the case, then you know, it's really up to the community to do that. You know, what we've seen, you know, right, even like Chattanooga, one of my friends is a home builder. And he basically was telling me the other day that there's 100 families um, vying for every home that's built in Chattanooga right now. Like if you're a Silicon Valley Bay worker and, you know, now you can work from anywhere, why wouldn't you be in Chattanooga? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just one last question, then I'll let you go. Um, you recently took over as the, the head of the Fiber Broadband Association. So congrats, first of all. Um, oh, and so what are your top priorities for, for the rest of this year? So the first was really to um, change our operating model. You know, we had a number of things. We were on an association, management association model. So we exited from that relationship. We rehired all our new staff and we're going to do all our thing organic. We also had high re reliancy on our annual conference for revenue. So we've subsidized about 70% of our membership through the conference. So two things. One is we need to make sure we have a great conference and two, we need to build out other revenue streams. So we're been working on that and that's going really well. Really excited to say that we are announced that we're doing a live in-person conference on July 25th to 28th. Wow, I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah, so which it's perfect because you know, we were going to do this in Dallas in June. One of our board members and I went down to Dallas and checked things out, you know, a few weeks ago and you know, we looked at a number of things and we called up Nashville and said, "Okay, we got to find a spot for us because one is we think beginning of June is a little too early. And we did some modeling of kind of herd immunity and pandemic. And basically, we're going to hit about 60% immunity by the end of May. And we'll be at 64% by the end of June. And that's prior to, you know, kind of the administration's efforts to get more vaccines out. And that was just prior to the Johnson Johnson vaccine. So we think that will accelerate as long as spring breaks and cities opening a little too early doesn't yeah. backlash. But anyway, the good news is there's a lot of drive-in traffic from Nashville. So we looked at that and just said, where's the spot that people don't have to worry about corporate travel policies and we can you know, get the most people there. That, and also the Gaylord is great with you know, all their processes and social distancing. So that's going to be a huge success. And you know, we've already had people excited you know, calling us up and uh, anxious to, to be there. So that's going to be great, July 25th to 28th in Nashville. And then the, you know, the other area I'm excited about is, uh, you know, we're working on legislation. So we've been doing virtual fly-ins, a number of congressional offices, you know, the $80 billion, you know, Clyburn and Klobuchar bill, you know, we want to make sure that gets bipartisan support and you know, all kinds of great things going on up on the Hill. So 
broadband is a bipartisan issue. You know, everybody is 100% support. We just have to, you know, try to work around some other politics. And so we are pretty confident that, you know, we'll be working in that direction. So that is super exciting. The last thing I just want to mention, it's started with, it's our 20th anniversary. And so at our conference, we're going to be highlighting all the innovation and evolution over the last 20 years in the fiber industry. So I'm super excited about that. It just, but my favorite thing when I go to the Fiber um, Connect conference is to see stuff that I've never thought I'd ever see, like these, you know, bend insensitive radius um, fibers. You know, you can tie fiber in a knot and all this stuff and being able to paint fiber on a white line and all these, you know, crazy things that you can do now. I, I think it's going to be really fun to kind of show where we were and where we are now and where we're heading. So a lot of great things. so much Gary Bolton for your time and thank you to our producer Tian Fu for making this episode be sure to subscribe to the light reading podcast for more episodes of the divide as well as interviews and insights from the light reading team thank you for listening we'll see you next time